Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Well, actually, today I'm not your host. I will be your guest. Uh, because this Friday I will be speaking in Kentucky at the Kentucky Mining Institute's Mine Rescue Competition, it's called. Um, and it's a really interesting event that I'm excited to participate in, and I think uh, you'll be interested in just the event and um, what I'm eager to, to talk about there. So in the interest of not interviewing myself, I brought on uh, someone to interview me and to discuss it with me, which is... Uh, Adam Edmondson, I don't think you know, most of you don't know Adam, some of you might, uh, but he's a member of the CIP team who helps us a lot behind the scenes, uh, but today he's making his debut on Power Hour. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, the interview chair is yours. Ask me anything you want. All right, so the uh, Kentucky Mining Institute uh, Mine Rescue Competition, tell us a little bit about this event. Um, so it involves, I believe, 50 different teams and, and um, competing in various events. And I have to say, I'm not, I don't know exactly what the competition is, except that there's a, a really big focus, and I'll elaborate on this later, um, on minor safety in the coal industry. And it's often, it's an almost universally misunderstood how safe coal mining is, how much technology has improved in that respect. And so... Um, this is definitely a celebration of the industry's commitment to uh, minor safety. It's particularly exciting to me, not just because of that, although that is a worthy cause, uh, but because it's the opportunity for me to speak probably more than I ever have directly to the people who are actually in the field, so to speak, or, or be more accurate in this case to say actually uh, underground. I speak to a lot of, of business audiences, particularly energy audiences, oil, coal, natural gas. Um, and it's it's usually people on more of the executive level or people who are working in an office. And that's incredibly important. And without them and without their decision-making and expertise and communications and all sorts of other important things, nothing would get done. But by the same token, uh, there's something special about the people who are actually connected to the product, the people who are drilling for oil, the people who are mining for coal. And last time I was in Kentucky, I was uh, fortunate enough to visit one of the mines, and we had a power hour back then with Heath Lovell uh, in part about that experience. And this time I don't think I'm going to be visiting a mine, but just getting to talk to, I think it'll end up being about 500 miners and sharing some thoughts with them uh, just is... Uh, is, is really exciting to me. Yeah, I remember you told a story of Heath asking you when you went into the mine if you were uh, afraid of going into the mine, and your answer was that all the danger was in driving to the mine. What do you think some misconceptions are about mining safety, and uh, how does that uh, compare with how the guys you'll be talking to think about it? 
Well, so the people, let's go broader for a second. The conception of coal miners in this country is, is so bizarre. And I remember two experiences that highlighted highlighted this to me, at least two, two recent experiences. One, I was at Michigan State, and, um, you know, there, there were a bunch of, I think, Greenpeace people there, and I think they were a little deflated after my talk because I didn't have too much trouble with their questions. Um, but, you know, I wanted to engage with them and talk with them. And one of the seemingly points of last resort one of the people made was, well, it's just, it's not fair to these miners. I mean, they're being exploited and it's just because they're poor and they don't have it. I just asked, have you ever met a miner? I mean, because you, you must be you know, somewhere between 18 and 22 years old. You know, there are men and women who do this for a living, who've chosen to spend their lives this way. It's pretty remarkable that you think that you know that they're making a stupid decision. Because I do know people in this profession and they're generally very intelligent and very thoughtful and they make this decision with a lot of knowledge about what the actual facts are about safety, what the actual facts are about health and with certain convictions about uh, the importance of the work. And this, there's a parallel, I think, to also people who go into the military where there's just this narrative usually by people on the left that these are just idiots in effect. And there, there's an element of they do irresponsible things. So one is allegedly unnecessarily kill people in terms of military and in terms of coal miners, it's ruin the planet, allegedly. Uh, but then there's also this aspect of they don't really know any better. They're, they're stupid. And that's the way of, of acting like, well, I support the miners. I support these people. I want them to do good jobs. I just want to obliterate their current uh, means of existence because they don't really know better. And they don't really know that life would be wonderful making a windmill. Uh, so in the second example came up when I was debating Bruce Millis, the senior director of Beyond Coal for Sierra Club. And I think that's, that's some, something like that. It's his title. He's the creator, I think, of Beyond Coal, the leader of Beyond Coal. In any case, very anti-coal. And one point that he'll make repeatedly is just that all of all, so many communities are victims of coal. And yet when I visit communities, they don't think of themselves as victims of coal. They think of coal and the coal industry as a big benefit. And they think of themselves as victims of the Obama administration, which we'll talk about more. And, and they certainly uh, are. So mining safety then is just one of many issues about which the coal miners actually know much more than the self proclaimed or self-believed elites, uh, and yet the so-called elites are woefully uh, ignorant. So for sure the people on the ground know what's the threat to their life and what isn't. It's just the fact that, that the country doesn't, and one thing I want to encourage people, uh, encourage the miners to do is to start engaging in activities where they can actually stand up for themselves and actually start uh, engaging the public. Yeah, I saw recently actually a, a video clip of a guy on, I think, America's Got Talent, who was a coal miner who wrote a song that became very popular called Coal Keeps the Lights On. And uh, it was a very emotional song and not from the perspective of he was upset that he had been duped into being a miner. Uh, he actually seemed very uh, proud of his work. Um, I, have to, I have to say, I 
<laughs> I'll have to blame this. Um, well, I have not seen that clip. I mean, it's been forwarded to me repeatedly, but I don't think she'll mind being mentioned here. My friend, Lisa Van Dam, whom I trust a lot on these things, she sent it to me at first and then said, don't bother watching it because it's not, it's not about the causal relationship between Cole and, um, you know, and actually keeping the lights on. I believe she said it was between just having a job in the coal industry. So it's the coal industry happened to give you a job, which is important, but is not, if someone says coal keeps the lights on, which is as sort of an overused expression in the coal community and that it's one of the few just, um, uh, like go-to expressions. It's okay, but it's not, not that, not that inspirational or, or educational. Um, yeah. So I was a little disappointed. So I never ended up watching it, but that said, it, sounds a lot better than 90 percent of what i hear about cole yeah i may have uh may have read a little bit into it i'll have to make a homework assignment of looking into that so what are you what are you going to say to these guys what are you going to focus on well always subject that to change as a speaker you always have the right to change what you're going to say up until the moment that you do it and even within it but i think there are three key points so one is, is even though it's, it's really important to understand if you're in the coal industry, how proud you should be and, and even prouder than you think, because it is a proud industry, but there are more reasons to be proud than you think. And the, the corollary of that for the country is that Americans should be proud of you and grateful uh, toward you. And I, I can talk about some of the elements of that. Um, so that's, that's point one. Point two it is that, as they're probably all too familiar with, Americans, especially our government, are giving them the exact opposite treatment. There is a war on coal, uh, but not to put a fine point on it, and they are being treated as, as criminals, not, not heroes. And the things that are said about coal and the coal industry are just it's amazing what people will say. When James Hansen uh, you know, compares them to Nazis, uh, it's it's really you know really obscene, and so then the third thing is okay. What what do we do about it? And my well, although although you know, what they do, their basic job is amazing because we're in this state of intellectual warfare, and because their jobs are on the line, they are you know their communities are on the line, and they all have friends and people they know who have already lost their jobs in one call. They need to to get engaged in a way that in a, in a in a culture that was more educated about coal, they wouldn't. They would just need to do their jobs. But I know a lot of people in the coal industry are reluctant to get up and stand up, and in part because they don't exactly know what to say, they don't know who to say it to. And so, what we're going to do is talk about how how CIP exists now, and and we have an outlet for that, or we have means of, of giving them the ammunition uh, and the resources and the options so they can make their voices heard, but they, they really need to make their voices heard. So it's basically, they're heroes, they're treated as villains, and they need to stand up as heroes, and we can, we can help them do that. What kind of uh, resources are we going to be offering to help them to do this? I want to talk a little bit about more of the case for them uh, being heroes first, because part of that, I think, is going to um, 
both for them and for everyone else, I think it's important to understand the, the kind of information that exists out there uh, before, like, how true the case for them is and how powerful it is. And then I think once once I can convey that, then it's clear, oh, wow, there's information, there's arguments out there that you didn't have before, that if you have, will enable you to convince that family member, will enable you to write that member of Congress, will enable you to you know, proudly wear an Isle of Fossil Fuels sticker on your heart, which, by the way, is one of the things we're, we're bringing that is exciting. So I just want to, let me just talk about a couple of, I'll, I'll rant here for a little bit, but um, just I think what what five things are that that make us that make it so we should be very grateful to the coal industry. Um, so I'd say the five are, and there are many more, but that they make us more productive. Or speaking to them, you make us more productive, you make us healthier, you make us safer, you make us live longer, and you make us happier. So, and more productive is the first one, and that, that's the core of everything else. I mean, energy is ultimately, um, you know, ener- energy is machine food. Energy is what enables us to have machines do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times more physical work than we can do just as weak humans or that we can do with weak animals, relatively speaking. So if we just look at the world around us and we think, what, how much of this could exist? Were we primarily just doing manual labor without machines? Almost none of it. And then and that's across the board. Everything we have in our lives is just dramatically, um, is made possible by this massive amount of productivity. And then all those machines require food they re- and that means they require energy if you take the energy out of the machines you cut off the electricity if you cut off the fuel those machines are scrapped they are worthless so if you are producing the cheap plentiful reliable energy that fuel the machines that make us a productive society you are doing something incredibly good in the world and, and you're doing something fundamental every other industry and every human activity then is improved and amplified by what you do. So that's really, you know, that that's the core. And then it's, but it's worth, it's really worth stressing how, how powerful that, that fuel is. I mean, how many different ways in which it improves their life. So one is another one. The second point is that it, it makes us, makes us healthier. So if we think about, just and, and one good thing to always ask is how healthy are we? How X are we compared to a hundred years ago? And you can think of so many ways in which electricity, energy have contributed to that. I sometimes use the example of a hospital. I mean, a hospital is a massive consumer of energy and then it's full of products, including things like pharmaceuticals and medical equipment that take lots of energy uh, to produce but one one aspect I think that's that's very neglected with with health is that so much of health requires basic scientific research, and that research can involve energy intensive machines. But what it most requires is time. It requires to, enough time to spend thinking and experimenting, which means that you need 
uh, a high-energy society to produce so many physical goods that, that a lot of people have time to spend doing mental work. So when we hear about the latest medical advance, that's coal at work. That's coal, oil, natural gas, any other good form of energy, any other practical form of energy, freeing up the time to make new discoveries. And then one, as we make those new discoveries and incorporate them into, do, into new technologies, then the coal or the other great sources of energy are going to power those technologies. So there's a very virtuous uh, circle of, of energy fueling technology and then that buying us more time to develop more technology and it just keeps, it keeps improving and improving and improving. But the one thing I want to stress is the amount that an improvement in physical productivity amplifies mental productivity. And one key element that there is, is health. Um, another one that's worth emphasizing the point three is that, that more energy, more energy from coal makes us much, much uh, safer. And the area to stress here, I think, because of what the focus is in the news, is the issue of climate. I'm getting really sick of debating environmentalists, and they'll never, ever, and this is online, so they have no excuse. I just wrote an article about fossil fuels in the Tesla, which is, you know, called electric car, which I call a coal car, since it's powered by fossil fuels, whether coal or natural gas, almost exclusively, particularly if it was to be used around the world. Anyway, no one will acknowledge that they're so obsessed with how what temperature change here, what temperature change here. No one will acknowledge the fact that it's obvious to any human being functioning on Earth who knows anything about history, which is that we are massively safer from the climate than we used to be. That is just a fact, and it's documented. We have you know, the statistic, most up-to-date statistics, that we're 50 times safer than we were 80 years ago. Um, and just as common sense, you can see that in the U.S., we have every conceivable climate, and we all can expect, you know, have a life expectancy of more or less 80 because modern technology powered by modern energy, including the modern coal industry, is such a powerful protector against climate. That's what allows you to make a drought almost irrelevant through drought relief. That's what enables you to make an enormous amount of weather irrelevant through building sturdy buildings. And the 70% of the world's steel is made using coal. That's what allows you to deal with, uh, you know, natural enormous fluctuations in heat and cold by having heating and air conditioning. And all of this is contributed to by the coal industry and it gets no credit. So when we think about climate, we should be grateful uh, to the coal industry. And there are plenty of other power hours where we elaborate on, on aspects of this, but that, that the basic fact is we're much safer and lots and lots of cheap, plentiful, reliable energy is an indispensable component. And then the fourth point, and this is, this is directly related to being more productive, healthier, safer. If you're more productive, healthier, and safer, you'll live longer. And you know, we continually live longer in the U.S. And it's, it's even more stark around the world where you have in uh, at least in the last 30 years, at least 2.5 billion people have increased their life expectancy by over six years, sometimes much more places like China and India. And it's no coincidence that these places have, have 
chosen to use dramatically more coal, usually three times or more, to generate electricity. And the reason that they chose coal is because that was the best, you know, cheapest source for them. And people talk about, oh, it's unhealthy and, oh, there's pollution. And, and sometimes governments have bad policies. So the coal used there isn't nearly as clean as, as it is in the U.S. But the overall impact is so positive that we should be grateful. And certainly to the U.S. coal industry, which is, you know, dramatic innovator in terms of, I believe like today's coal technology is something like 10 times cleaner than it was just a few uh, decades ago. So in terms of life expectancy, we should be grateful to the coal industry. The, the final thing that is really worth stressing is the idea of the coal industry making us uh, happier. And this, this is connecting back to the issue of time, how an increase in physical productivity allows an increase in mental productivity, but more fundamentally because it buys you time, which means it buys you opportunity, which means it buys you the opportunity to do the things in life that will make you most happy. So as somebody who does almost no manual labor for a living and gets to work with ideas that I find really interesting, I'm very aware that, that this did not exist as a profession. Nothing like this existed for any significant number of people before we were so physically uh, productive. So while I'm not mining, I know that the person who's mining makes it possible for me to say, host a podcast. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for that. And just if I, if I look back 100 years, Certain, let alone 200 years, and I think about, wow, what did those, what did they have the opportunity to do? It's just, it's staggering what what we can do. Whether it's with the, you know, high energy internet where we can go virtually uh, using oil, which is you know, very related to the coal industry, uh, where we can travel. It's just the number of possibilities today is is staggering and. I often hear this issue dismissed in terms of people say, oh, well, I did a study and people aren't as happy as they would be and we have too many choices. And my view of that is if you think that, go, or we have too much money or something like, if you think that, go be poor, go do nothing, go stay in the same place, don't travel more than five hundred. that's fine, you're, you're free to do that. But I am 100% sure that the more opportunity I have, the more time I have, the happier I am. And I'm grateful to the coal industry for it. So that's, that's why we should be grateful toward the coal industry. But we're not. Yeah, and it's an interesting paradox, which we see in a lot of different places, uh, which is that the people who are hardest at work to shut this whole thing down are the ones whose very professions, as you mentioned, would not have been able to exist without this and would be some of the quickest to be shut down. Yeah, and it's, it is, I mean, that that, that has been a dynamic for, for way too long, and Ayn Rand discusses it in the essay uh, for, the new, for the New Intellectual. And, I mean, I, I just, there, there's a lot of dynamics going on there. One is just certainly that there's an, Knowledge is knowledge and ideas are not held in a very real way by many of these people. So they just, you know, they're wonks. They like to throw ideas around. They're partisan. They like to argue with people. But it's just, they never wake up and think, 
wow, isn't it great that I can live this way? And isn't it, isn't it, and what is actually is responsible for that? There's, there's a lot in the culture and educational system that makes that not even a question. It's just more like there's stuff here, there's a society. I can think of a way that I think would make it better. This coal stuff seems too dirty. Let's switch it out with some windmills. It's, it doesn't even rise to the level of thought. So it's, it, there's an element of the educated people are woefully, woefully um, uneducated. And I, I myself was certainly completely uneducated about energy uh, until after college. Although I at least had the training to know that I wasn't educated about it and not to pretend that I was. Yeah, and interestingly, the um, the need for energy for things like safety, health, and living longer is sometimes recognized as soon as we have a blackout or something like that. I saw that uh, electricity companies were receiving massive fines after uh, new laws were made about their blackouts. They could be their fines went from eleven thousand dollars a day to a million dollars a day for a blackout, and uh, so it's interesting that in. on in some ways, people are uh, able to make that connection fairly quickly uh, when their power goes out, but on a daily basis, uh, don't do that. And I'm I'm glad that you're encouraging the people who are uh, behind the electricity and the uh, other forms of energy that people use to make their lives better. Uh, I'm glad you're helping them to get better at pointing that out. Yeah, you really, it's not a good thing when you realize the problem at the stage of utter failure. Like, I mean, 9-11 being a classic example. Like when it gets that far, it means that the understanding is so bad, it means that the quote solution is not, almost certainly not going to be correct. And that, I mean, switching away from, from the 9-11 example, because foreign policy is a little bit different, but that there's no, that it's, it's the area has lost so much ambition and aspiration. So if we just if we think of coal policy or electricity policy as let's prevent a let's let's not have a big blackout, it's just such a huge concession because we have technology that can make energy dramatically cheaper, more plentiful. We should be in that direction. So it's it's not just we shouldn't just be on the verge of a blackout and continually stave it off and then have a bunch of threats should be, well, if we produce more coal, that would be really good. And even, even among people who defend coal, there's a certain idea that, okay, well, we produce enough now, so we don't need to produce any more, but the amount now we need or we need close to, it's just such an anti-progress attitude. If it's good to produce coal, it's good to produce more coal, assuming that's the most economic uh thing to do, but I, I don't believe in some magical limit on uh, on CO2, or, and therefore on coal. Yeah, interestingly, the um, the coal industry was portrayed by Bruce Nillis of the Sierra Club and by a lot of other people as a technology of the 19th century that was necessary to get us here, but not to keep us going. And it's just striking to me, and has become more so recently with your work, uh, how technologically innovative um, not only the coal industry is, but also other fossil fuel industries that are thought of as kind of commodity industries that just, you know, turn a crank and do the same thing over and over, and over again, but they're actually 
on the forefront of a lot of technologies that people just aren't aware of. Yeah, this came up in the Power Hour episodes with Mark Mills and Frank Clemente. Both of those are really worth listening to in this connection. And here's one way to put it. The advances in the coal industry in the last 30 years, in terms of significance, are, I don't know what number I can use, just to put a very high number, uh, you know, order of magnitude higher than all the quote advances in solar and wind, because all of those advances um, amount to almost no useful energy. I mean, with solar, there's if you're off grid, it's useful in some circumstances. There's you know some interesting solar powered freezers. But essentially, if solar technology disappeared from the earth, certainly if wind did, we would be no worse off, and and we would be better off. Not that the technology shouldn't exist, but it shouldn't be deployed unless it's economic or unless someone is using his own money exclusively. Uh, you know, versus coal, there's, you know, getting much, much more efficient at a, at mining a given coal mine. That's a huge, huge benefit. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's going to dramatically lower your costs and thus can potentially lower the consumer price of coal. In terms of how to burn coal, as I said, it's become something like 10 times cleaner. And I, I'm not of the belief that coal is, it was dirty and we shouldn't have used it. I think dirty is a, a contextual issue. And when something is essential to health, it doesn't make any, any sense to call it dirty, but still it's, it's all things being equal. It's better to be cleaner. And you, know, you just have amazing advancements in terms of uh, different forms of filtration. And given that you're dealing with a real form of energy, that's much more exciting than, uh, you know, getting, doubling the effectiveness of something that's one-tenth of where it needs to be, or where it would need to be to even meet today's uh, standards. So there, there is a bunch of, not a bunch, there is a lot of innovation, and that's, that's something to be uh, proud of. And this, this then leads to the second point I want to stress, which is now people know this, but I don't know in the industry, but I don't know if they know how much or exactly why it happens, but just that they are being treated as, as criminals. Now, the form in which they see this are job cuts, companies going out of business, and it's, it's, it's really rough. Um, and it's worth saying that it's not, it, it's really bad to lose your job and to have trouble getting another job. And I'm all for that. If somebody outcompetes your industry, then you have to learn new skills and this kind of thing. But if you've spent your life developing very useful skills that are that could be doing great work, and your hands are literally tied, as in the government says, no, this kind of work is no longer legal in effect, or we're gonna, as Obama said, something like, well, you can have a you know coal plant, we're just gonna bankrupt you. So in effect, he's tying people's hands. That is so. That is just so disgusting, and it's it's so harmful. I mean, you just think of them a level of a family. Someone made plans to be a coal miner. He had good reason for making those plans, and then suddenly there's this, um, you know, cultural hysteria. Coal is the number one scapegoat, and then you know all of his plans. Maybe he wanted to send his kid to college. Maybe he wanted to send his kid to a private school. You know, wanted a comfortable life with his family, and his hands are tied. Um, and what if he can only get a job that pays 
half as much because he, he developed these legitimate skills. What does it feel like to not be able to provide for your family? What's the difference in terms of just your feeling of self-esteem? What's it, what's it going to be like for his kids to be around him, for his wife to be around him? It's, it's just, it's so, it's so destructive to someone and not least, not the least, not the least of the destruction is, is psychological. So I mean, this is really, it's really a war. And, and the, the ways in which it, it, it takes place are a lot of it is through the EPA, just the EPA saying you can't build any coal plants. Um, various agencies saying, well, you, know, you can't, not only shouldn't you be able to burn coal here, but you shouldn't be able to export coal. So the coal miners are just having their hands tied in, in every direction, even though there's enormous international demand for coal, even though, you know, U.S. is the world leader in coal. They're just not allowed uh, to do their jobs. And you have people just all the time, I mentioned James Hansen, just being able to say these horrific things, like we need a war on coal. They're like Nazis, like coal trains are the equivalent of taking someone to Auschwitz or some other Nazi concentration camp. Um, and this is viewed as just a legitimate thing. It, it it's just amazing to me how people will just act as if what these people do is, is illegitimate and should be, uh, should be scrapped. And thus they're in a position where they need to, you know, if you're, if you're in the industry, it shouldn't be this way. It's not fair, but you don't have direct control over that. What you do have control of is like, are you going to take responsibility? Are you going to, are you going to stand up and, and, the diff- I think one of the sticking points is not knowing how to do that. I think people would like to be able to do it, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know exactly what's behind it. And that's a lot of what CIP can give them. Yeah, and if anyone is uh, tempted to think that this isn't immediately about them, too, um, a good thing to keep in mind is that these guys are the ones on the front lines who are immediately going to lose their jobs and their way of life. Uh, and have to um, attempt to find another way um, to move on from that. But people like uh, the Sierra Club and and others are talking about shutting down um, coal plants. I forget how many. It's, I think, in the 200s that Bruce was bragging that he's uh, gotten on a retirement schedule now and or prevented from uh, being started. And they're doing this in, in in the absence of anything to replace them with. So their idea is not to try to build up something else that will overcome the need for this kind of thing. It's to shut this down no matter what that does. Yeah, and if, I mean, because one of the rationalizations for attacking coal, or one of the, the reasons for people saying, oh, well, it's not that bad, is because in the U.S. at the moment we have remarkably cheap natural gas because of the, the shale technology revolution combined with the fact that for technological but also political reasons it's it's not a global market it's difficult to export so you have in some set in some sense a glut of of shale there and there's many many fallacies to saying this means we should shut down coal because at the very least there should what what you would expect to happen would be that coal mining would not be compromised at all it would it would just be on the international market much more where they don't have natural gas anywhere as cheap as we do and there's also a lot of 
think I've mentioned in previous episodes. Um, the fact that the fact that in some cases, although certainly not all cases, the natural gas might be cheaper, um, like per unit of energy once a plant is built at current rates. That doesn't mean that it's economic to just, you know, to have to retool or shut down an entire plant that you have a huge investment in and then build a new one because the, the building uh, costs a lot of money, which is a point that environmentalists are always making with nuclear power plants. So it's very cheap to run, but it costs a lot to build. Now, they make it much more costly to build than it needs to be, but still, your, your upfront capital cost is, a, is an important thing. So that's just by way of, of this is an effort to shut down energy. And then in the environmentalist terms, they're openly anti-gas. Sierra Club went from beyond coal to beyond gas. So there, there's an element of the, that poem, that I don't know if it's a poem, but the uh, expression or the, the little, I don't have a name for it, but you know, first they went after this guy and I didn't say anything. And then they went after this and they went after this and then there was no one left with me. And the coal industry is the, the scapegoat. They're the easiest target because people have this negative view of coal. They don't understand what it is. It's black. It's known as dirty. It's tied to mining accidents. And it's an easy target. And whenever we see an easy target, that's the time to to stand up in the opposite direction. All right. Any other thoughts about the upcoming talk? Yeah. I mean, the the last thing I'd, I'd say is that what what the miners can do, and I'll be talking them about it directly, obviously, but it's, I think it's worth, worth hearing that you know, I, I understand that it's not, you know, your profession you might not be comfortable standing up for your industry and you feel misunderstood and you are misunderstood. And, and, but at the same time, there's a lot that you, you can do. And, and I think the good news with what CIP has been showing the last two years is that it is possible to change people's minds on coal and on other on other issues, and what and what we can do is we can give them the resources to make it a lot easier to do to stand up for themselves and a lot more um, effective. So, for instance, I think one thing that we're gonna make sure is that each of these companies has a copy of Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. We'll make sure that every one of um, the miners there who wants to is on our, you know, on our email list and has an, has an electronic copy of fossil fuels improvement plan, which is a lot of coal specific arguments. And it will make sure that they have copies, easy access to, um, you know, some of the top power hour episodes uh, on coal. And then what we're starting to do for those of you who are on the email list, if you're not go to industrial pause and go to, after I tell you the address, industrialprogress.com sign up for the email list because it's a great newsletter anyway but it's we're you know starting this week we've become you know just much more focused on practical tips so this is going to allow people in the coal industry the oil industry and then just those of us who care about industrial progress more broadly it's going to on a weekly basis um, give tips for what to do and then share stories of what other people uh, are doing successfully. So I just think that, that, you know, if if you're, if you're a minor listening to this, or if you're anyone listening to this, you're going to have the arguments, you're going to have the facts, and you're going to have the outlet 
to make a difference. You know, one of my goals is to make that as easy for you as possible because it's, it's not so easy to figure out, especially when it's not your full-time job, but it's a lot easier uh, to learn. And if, if you learn the truth and if you learn the right, you know, the right arguments, you're going to be able to convince a lot of people and I think you'll, it'll, it'll be really satisfying. And if the, and imagine if the whole industry stood up and then also working on the oil and gas industry, and that would just be a completely different force. If this was a proud industry and when some, you know, when some destructive person like James Hansen just said this, the coal industry would stand up in droves. And that would be, that would be something that we haven't seen at the most we ever see is unions stand up and fight for higher wages. And you see how that's effective. Well, what if you actually stood up and fought for your very livelihood, not for a higher wage, but for a wage for the right to exist, for the right to do, uh, you know, your work, the work that you've chosen, the work that makes you happy, the work that allows you uh, to do what you want in life. So I think, I think what, what CIP has done and, and is going to do going forward is going to uh, empower them a lot. So it's, it's necessary to stand up. And I think what we're doing is now we're making it, it possible. So there's, there's no excuse and there's no alternative. Great. Well, I'll look forward to reading about that in next week's newsletter then. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, you'll probably help me write it. Um, Probably will. Well, Alex, thank you for the interview. You've been a great guest. And we'll hear from you next time. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Adam, for joining me on the show. Next, uh, usually say next week we'll be back with another great guest. I won't presume to call myself a great guest. We'll be back with a great guest and another great topic. If you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, as always, you can email me at alex at industrialprogress.net. Remember to go to industrialprogress.com to sign up for the email newsletter. Um, if you're not on Facebook with us, definitely go to facebook.com slash the pursuit of energy and facebook.com slash I love fossil fuels. I know it's a lot of Facebook sites and websites, but they're all good. So until next week, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.